The witch's cackle burns the eye that sees the danger you are in. Sometimes we're wrong, but we want to prove that we are right, so we begin. Watch out, there's a sword and it's coming for your neck. In this battle for salvation, in this battle for salvation. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Warhammer Underworld's Battle for Salvation podcast i'm max bernstein i'm randall slate and hello all you listeners out there before we get started to subscribe to us on itunes and or to follow us on podbean please leave a rating or a review or both and make sure that you go to facebook and like us on the page facebook.com slash bfs uw podcast and a quick shout out to dave at the gamers gauntlet who lended us uh, his copy of White Dwarf, which is going to be central to what we just talk about today. Uh, but before we get started, we have had the Q2 prize kit spoiled, and we wanted to talk about that for a second. So, Randall, what do we got in that box? Oh, by the way, if you don't know, Randall is uh, an a, an old hand at spoiling things that happened in the, that came in prize kits, which we just found yeah, out. Yeah, we <laughs> we just found a boxing video. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I a really long time ago. Well, I guess it wasn't that long time ago. It was it was when the uh, it was like a year and change ago. Yeah, yeah, it was when the original first ever prize kit for Warhammer Underworlds came out, and we just checked and, it. Yeah, I made a video of myself unboxing it, and then I just checked the, I just checked it on YouTube, and it has like four thousand views or something like crazy. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> All right. cool. uh, so, so let's it, talk about this one now. So yeah, this is called the 2019 Q2 prize kit. And uh, we have some pictures that we found online of it. And inside we have the standard shade glass trophy. It looks to be exactly the same, except it says Champion of the Mirrored City 2019 this time. Yeah, I got one of those already. Yep. And I'm good. good. It has activation tokens for the Zinch and the Goblins and the matching alternate art. Fighter cards for both hey, of those listen, war bands. What? I got a bone to pick. Still no Magor. Yeah, still, still no Far Striders. What still skipped Far Strider and Magor. We're still I'm really Magor pissed player, about that. You're a Far Strider pet player, and like we're still screwed on that. Yeah. God. I think we should riot or protest. I think we're doing that right now. Okay. All right, we're done then. So, all right. So, moving on, we have uh, the same uh, acrylic tokens that we had in the last one the green see-through ones but this time they are for the charge tokens which are nice by the way i think they're totally yeah totally usable they, they are nice good. but i do like having the move and charge being on the same yeah, token where you can just flip it over it, it just you know makes it so you have to have less tokens around yeah, they got to come up with new stuff to put in the q3 and the q4 packs you know, i assume they'll do on guard and stuff. yeah but uh yeah, what else are they going to do? Maybe like a maybe a scatter token. Ooh. Well, but they have. They've also done the uh, the shard fall before. Yeah, I'm just saying they could probably do like a scatter token. Oh, they might do the one, the card that nobody uses, where you put the lethal hex on lethal the ground hex, right in front of you. Yeah, that'll be in Q4. Yeah, yeah, that's what they're going to do. Just you watch. That'll probably All be right. cool looking if it's in acrylic. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. 
So we have the you know the fighter cards for for Zinch and goblins, which are which are nice. Yeah, and then we have the ones we can see is uh, Zarbag. Yeah, we can see Zarbag, and we can see the blue horror. I wonder blue if horror. both of his yeah. sides are. Alternate I would art. imagine it would have to be, because that's because if you look, that's actually his. That's the blue horror side. Right. And so the the usually it's the back of the card that has the the alternate. The inspired art. side are always yeah, the altered one, one. Yeah. This one is like the front side. Right. Well, he doesn't really inspire. He doesn't inspire. Yeah. So they had to do it on. I'm doing on both sides. I'm hoping they did alternate art on both sides, not just the one side. Anyway, so we have some some looks at some of the new alternate art just cards you have in your deck. We have uh, fired up, which mm -hmm. you know is nice because it's restricted. So better put it in the. Uh, it, people use it, so you might as well put it. it in there. Yeah. Then we have uh, pit trap. Another which is cool because a lot of people use that card. Yep. We have great speed, which is mm -hmm. decent. Sure. And then we have devastation, which is a pretty stinky objective, which I've yeah, never seen anyone I play. I don't think it's I don't think it's the best. Yep. We don't rate that one very high. It's, it's yeah. The, well, the problem with that one is just that it's not super useful against every warband. And usually you want to pick things that'll be useful no matter who you're playing against. Right. Um, but I do like it when they put, um, you know, like the, 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 that they put fired up and pit trap in there is actually a really good move. I love it when they put cards that people actually use, like they put center of attention, which I think is a totally usable card in, in a lot of decks. And uh, and they did the alt art for that for uh, for Q1. Um, I, I think that they should take a look at which cards are getting a lot of use and do the alternate arts on those. Because, I mean, I, I don't want to have to keep changing cards right. around in my decks. So. They should use the ones that are really, really popular so that really in a couple popular, months they can ban or restrict one. them and we have to take them out nudge, of our deck. Nudge, say no more. Yeah. Say anyway. no more, Squire. So one right. other thing that is interesting about this prize kit is we have a, a glimpse at a card that's coming out in the future. Mm. We don't know what Warband it's for yeah. or when it's coming out because we know nothing about when Games Workshop is going to release anything. Don't and uh still, so but this is a godsword hunt right and, and, and the trolls so this is a spell gambit card which is uh Ooh. pretty fascinating it's called unfocused blast it's a gambit spell it requires one channel to cast it and one trip to which is a zap and it says if this spell is cast do the following scatter one from the caster's hex any fighter in the end hex suffers one damage do this two more times, scattering from the caster's hex each time. Right. So people are already talking about cards to combo this with. Right. Like I say center of attention, which I just mentioned, is a good combo with this card because you can draw a bunch of bunch of characters in and and then try to zap them. Um, another one was that what was it, damning pact or something like that, where you take a damage, but then like all the damage that you deal from a gambit spell uh yeah. adds the damage. It, you you deal one damage to yourself, and then it says, the next spell you cast, any fighter damaged by that spell suffers one additional... Well, it, the, the wording on it is one additional damage, but the wording on it is pretty weird. It says, the first time they attempt to cast a spell before the next power step. So it's not just the next spell, right? It doesn't say that. It says, before the next power step, any fighter damaged by that spell suffers one additional damage. I would imagine it'd be every time you roll the scatter. Right, right. The same it's counting the, the that spell. spell as a whole, not that the next time you roll dice or whatever. Yeah, part of the spell. Yeah, so very interesting. Not, I, I can see situations <clears throat> where yeah. you might use it. I mean, what I like about this is that it 
you only need one channel to cast it. Super easy. Right, which is easy. You can do it with, you know, it's very likely well, that somebody leader. like Vortimus, it's very yeah. likely that somebody like Vortimus or Stormsire will be able to get this off. And even, you know, in a pinch, you can use it on Rastus or Amos. Yeah, one of the Thunder Buddy buddies. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing is that it's, you know, capable of doing just direct damage that you cannot avoid. The problem I have with it is the is ultimately the scatter. You have to deal with the scatter, which is uh, always, yeah. always a, a literally a, a dice roll. Right. And uh, we were talking about this earlier. It, it does affect it, it will hit your own guys if you if you end up rolling kind of weird on the scatter. Yep. They gotta be careful of that. And typically when you wanna scatter something, you wanna have the hammers be in the direction that you want it to go. Just because it's more likely to roll a hammer. Yeah, because there's two hammers on each dice. Yeah. Um. So you know this spell. I like it. This is a step. This is a spell that's a step in the right direction for making magic. uh, And it also kind of. Yeah, exactly. And that's what I was about to say is that it seems like we're starting to see more gambits show up, and maybe the magic stuff is going to be a little bit better than we've been seeing. It's already been pretty good. But I think it does need a few more, uh, a few more options, and uh, this one sounds decent. Yep, and it will also a lot of the other spells like give you some sort of benefit, like a boost or getting cards back or whatever. But this one will actually help you actively score your objectives that are centered around casting yeah. spells, because yeah. this one's easy to cast. So there's ones that'll say like cast a certain number of spells in a turn. You can probably just throw yeah. that one even if there's nobody around you just to get that. To just go to off. get it if you need to, yeah. Then uh, you, ones that have you deal damage with spells. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is potentially three, or if you combo it, you know, six damage. Yep. Doesn't yep. sound too bad to me. All right. All right. You ready to move on? Yep. Okay, cool. Let's go to a tournament review. Um, I went down to uh, the Carcosa tournament. Uh, drove down with our good buddy uh, Rob Mead from uh, the Battle for Salvation. We saw a couple of other friends down there. Our Eric Warder was down there. I uh, didn't get to play him, uh, either of them. But um, but I will recount for you what yeah, had happened. This, this is you, the... were, you were up at a 40k tournament, weren't you? Yeah, I was. I'm just saying. I just want to say this is a, the tournament is called the Carcosa Club. Yes. And it's in Brooklyn, New York. Yes. South and Miami I was Third. right. You've and then. I was up in Poughkeepsie at a store called Champion Card Collector at a 40k tournament. Yep. So check those out now, if you now, live in New York. Like, there was there was a big BFS store, uh, showing there too. A lot of the guys from the club were there. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then uh, yeah, but but I was down at uh, at Carcosa, and uh, so and I put a couple of couple of posts up on the Facebook page about it, so you can go there and take a look at what it looks like there, and uh, and uh, you'll find out who won in a minute. <sighs> I don't, want to, I don't want to bury the lead. Anyway, all right, so we'll get started. Uh, round one, I was playing... So I was playing my Magor deck. Uh, I, it's been the same deck that I've been playing since the Wu Bar, basically. Um, a couple of things I've changed since uh, since the tournament, because it was a couple of weeks ago already, and I just wanted to try a couple of things. And uh, I'll probably talk about it in later episodes or something. But um, I was playing against uh, this uh, a new player named Calvin. Uh, this guy, Calvin, gave me a couple of really great games. Uh, and uh, for for somebody who hadn't been playing very long, uh, really played the game very well, kind of innately understood the mechanics of it and and uh, a little bit of the um, of, of, of the, uh, the the strategy. 
Um, but as with uh, people who pick up the game and they're very smart people, um, but they're inexperienced. So they don't know what the cards do and they don't know what to look for yet. Um, but I have a feeling that when he starts to play more games, get more reps under his belt and like kind of understand what the cards do, I think he's going to be a really good player. Yeah, it's rough um, when you the first time you ever play against Magors. Like if you've never played against them before, you're really not prepared for what they're capable of doing on like the first, even the first activation. Right. So if but, if you don't have uh, knowledge of the matchup, the Magors player is going to probably steamroll steamroll you in the first game, and then you have to you know win two back to back afterwards. Yeah. To, well, well, yeah. honestly, he uh, I don't, I don't really feel like I steamrolled him in either game, which is uh, which is kind of a testament to to his just innate ability. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll recount what happened. Um, he was playing Reavers, and um, he, he was using a deck put together by Eric Warda, actually. And uh, and so uh, he, so on the first turn, uh, I, we were both using – I was using a very open board, and he was using uh, the one that had uh, three block taxes, that, but it has like that little corridor in the middle. We'll talk about the names later because that's going to be the second segment of this episode. And put uh, put Arnolf and Targor kind of towards the front, and then the three heavy hitters kind of in the back. And uh, that's how we started. And I was starting with all of my Magors towing the line as per usual. Um, Gartok in the front, Magor a little bit further back, Riptooth a little bit further back, um, which is typical for me. And uh, by the end of that first game, I was playing, I had uh, Riptooth, Magor, and Zarkus still around, and he had just Sake. Uh, we were kind of all sitting in that no one's territory right in the middle of the boards, um, just bloodbath, complete bloodbath. And by the end of round three, it was just Magor v. Uh, sake. He had gotten both my other guys, but um, I managed to pull out that win. Uh, let's see, I, I won fifteen to twelve. So this this is this is Calvin's you know first ever game, and he's playing against you know me. I'm I'm not tooting my own horn, but I am pretty experienced, and he did very very well against me. I only got him by three. Uh, in the next game, we played a little differently. He, I think it looks like he won the board roll. Um, eh, maybe I won. No, I think he won the board roll. And uh, we, I played a little bit deeper in my own zone because I wanted uh, the, the way that he was setting up, it looked like he was just going to sort of run in on one particular guy on, on the left side. And so I kind of felt, stayed a little bit back, waited for him to come in and then counterstruck. And uh, it ended up working out pretty well for me. Uh, in the second round of that game, it was just a bloodbath in the middle. Everybody's just bunched up. And by the third round of that game, um, I kind of realized that I had the game because I, I got Conquest in my hand and I had Fainway Crystal. So what I ended up doing was just Fainwaying away with Magor because I already had the game in hand and I knew I was going to pick up another couple of couple of scores. So I ended up just Fainwaying away and uh, winning 19 to 3, 13. 19 to 13. So I ended up winning 2-0, but Calvin gave me a couple great games. And um, I know that when he has a little bit more experience under his belt, man, he's going to be good. All right. Moving on round two. Uh, round two, I'm playing against Isaac Van Dunn, who, uh, who is one of the, the ringleaders of the Carcosa club. He's one of the reasons why it's uh, why it's even there. And he was playing a Skaven deck, um, but he had said, you know, that he had been busy that week and he just kind of put the Skaven deck together the night before and noticed that there was like a couple of cards that it's like he wouldn't really be able to score it. What's that Skaven card where you need to have like a bunch of you have to score like 
you have to score like two or three uh, cards during the action phase. Boy master. No, 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 not, 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 not a gambit. Like you have to score like a score immediately during the, the action phase. And if you score two, uh, one, I don't know if it's a scaven point. only one, I'm not really sure. I don't, maybe it's not a scaven only anyway, but, but most the, of the, the scaven only that, cards are not very good. Uh, well, I don't know. Scritch is the greatest is a good yeah, one. Yeah. I mean, well, there's, arms yeah, there's length arm's length and yeah, Scritch is the great, was arm's yeah, length, the... I mean, whatever. Anyway, I think it's, yeah, I think it's scaven only. Um, anyway, but the point is, is that he had like he had one card that he he would have to s draw up. He only had two and score immediately, but he still had that card in there. Oh so it's no, kind of a card from him. That's yeah. kind of like when you're at that deck building stage where you're like taking things in and out, and then you forget that yeah, one of the things you cut is like has synergy. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, for this particular one, I lost the board rolls, and I know because I'm using the uh, the blue side of the what is it the the board pack. Yep which I actually use um, a lot because it has, uh, well, again, we'll talk about this later, because it has a lot of uh, starting hexes like towards the edges. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought that that might be helpful. Um, and yeah, it just, it, not only did he have like a couple of just mistakes in, in the deck building, which, which he admitted to, um, but uh, also I remember the, the dice were really going my way. Um, so I won the first round uh, 15 to five. And then the second game, uh, we let's see. It looks like we kind of ended. I, I had Magor, uh, Magor, Riptooth, and Zarkus all alive and in his zone. And which is the which is the Skaven with the nunchucks? The hungering skill with hungering. the shield and the nunchucks. Yeah, that's what that's what he had. The that was nunchucks. Way, it's it, they are nunchucks. It's a flail I mean, or something. It's like a flail. Is it? It looks like nunchucks. No, it's not nunchucks. It's, it's like Bruce Lee rat. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like Ninja Turtles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen people. Uh, oh, that would be sick. Ninja Turtles. Yeah. No, I've seen that before. Absolutely. They do. They do Scritch as Splinter. And then okay. they do. Oh, no, it's perfect. Because like Crick can be Donatello with the big long staff. Mm -hmm. All right. right. Festering Skaven is the one with the, the knives. So that's like Leonardo. Mm -hmm. And then um, Hungering Skaven is the one with the, the nunchuck. So that's Michelangelo. And then the other one is Lurking Skaven. He's got like the like the little pointy things on his hands. So that's kind of like the size that uh, Raphael has. It's perfect. Sure. It works perfectly. So you so, won? I, yeah, I won that one too. Um, and so I was uh, not only was I, you know, four zero, but I was also uh, way ahead on MOV. Right. So right. now, so now, we, now we get to what we all came here for is to hear about <laughs> who actually won the tournament and why it wasn't you. Are we allowed to curse on this thing? No, there's little kids watching. Okay, because you just dodged a bullet right there. Right. Anyway. So I played this really nice gentleman named Joe Massius, who is one of uh, is an, another good friend uh, of ours, Eric Eric Warda Alkalite. I don't. Yeah, Eric <laughs> Warda has brought him and, into the fold. Right. So so just like you know how Calvin had like had the Reavers deck like a couple yeah. of months ago, like back last summer when I first like when I met Eric the first time. Uh, Joe was at that one too, and he was playing that reverse. Yeah, game. yeah. And now he's kind of graduated onto Night Haunts, so he's playing Night Haunts. Um, and uh, who so won the board roll? He won. He wins the board roll, and he plays uh, the 
which one is the one it's the one that has the 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 two lethal hexes on it which I okay long deployment long no no it was a diagonal deployment. okay diagonal sweet diagonal so i'm 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 bottlenecked into this area that has a lethal hex hex right next to it yep so there's so one of his lethal hexes right there in the corner as i pass through the bottleneck and he and he used that actually a lot um he put the briar queen right there um and i kind of went in and started doing magor things and so a couple of things happened. First of all, I, I, I don't want to take anything away from Joe because he did pilot very well. But I was, I mean, my dice went cold, like really cold. And I couldn't land anything. The, the first game was a little bit better for me. Um, I can see at the end of that game, um, I had Gartok and Magor left and he had uh, a couple of chain rasps, no, three chain rasps and Varklov left. Um, but he scored a supremacy at the end. And I, I remember uh, whiffing really hard with Magor uh, on, on, a, on a, a hit that really mattered quite a lot. And uh, that first game ended seven to 10 in mm -hmm. his favor. And I, I even did like what I think is the smart thing because I noticed that he started playing them where he was landing on objectives and moved. Uh, I moved Gartok onto an objective because sometimes I like to do that because he can't be pushed back, so it gums up his chances of standing on objectives and scoring things. But he still ended up scoring plenty. And then we uh, we did it again. He wins the board roll again and sets it up basically the exact same way. And this was the game where in the second round, I, I, okay. So first of all, in the first round, let me just say, this was the best opening activation I've ever had. I draw up my objective cards. It's show of strength, strong start, and what armor. So, so you can get all those in one attack, right? If one you kill attack. a guy. If I, if kill I kill a guy, a guy with, with Magor, you just get all three. Exactly. Okay. And I totally did. And it okay. was super, super nice. sweet. And I start the game. Two upgrades on Magor. Uh, to, oh, are you kidding? I was like, yep. I loaded up whoever it was. Right it away. Didn't matter. Yeah, didn't matter. Yep. <laughs> Did not matter. I then, um, at the end of the round, or yeah, no, it was at the beginning of the next round, uh, I still had only killed one chain rasp. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was it. Like, nobody else could do anything. Nice. And he starts throwing stuff on the Briar Queen. I can't do anything there. And then um, I put, uh, I, I hidden paths, uh, Magor in to deal with something and I missed and then it ran away and then he came in to attack Magor with Varklav and hit him and then uh and then I tried to like hate kill Varklav for like three activations and couldn't hit him yeah so it was just like I just basically threw away my entire second turn and so he's sitting there at the end of the game I can't hit a damn thing and he's got six ghosts and they're just standing, literally standing on every objective. And I can't knock them off. It was just like ridiculous. He did a lot of good movement too that made it even harder. But he ended up scoring uh, a couple of keys. He ended up scoring uh, all these like weird supremacies that, I, that I've yeah. never seen anybody play before. Supremacy, tactical supremacy, one and three, or one, one and four. And then like, what's the one? Like eternal supremacy where it's like one, two, and three or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah, he put Whatever. so... You're saying that his deck was mostly focused on it was mostly defensive, like yeah. objective token holding. Yep. And then the the upgrades were and ploys were mostly to yep. buff up the Briar Queen to come in and kill you. Which I think is the way to play that. I don't know if I would have used some of these like weirder um 
objectives Obje- yeah some some of the objectives where you the, the, you know, stand on objective objectives uh-huh. i don't know if I, I don't know if personally i would use so many of them but he used them to great effect and you know uh cold dice you know helped them out quite a bit and it, it made it uh you know and again I, I again i don't want to take anything away from him he was piloting really well so um it was a combination of of those two things but I'm going to have to just, uh, you know, sometimes pitchers, they throw the best pitch of their life and the batter hits it over the fence and you just have to tip your cap. Yep. So that's what I'm going to do. Joe, tip my cap to you, sir. Well done. Well done. Well done. Enjoy it. Um, and yeah, and I'll get All it right. next time. <laughs> All right. So that sounds good. And now we're going to transition into the crux of this episode. And we are going to talk about what was released in the White Dwarf. Yep, I have magazine. it right in front of me here. I have it. I have a copy here as well. Um, so, yeah, you want to talk about? It? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is um, in in January of this year, 2019. They've decided they're sort of reinventing the way they're approaching publishing this this White Dwarf magazine, and they said they're going to have more in depth articles. Uh, more guests and like kind of like less advertisement type mm-hmm. things. And so one of the things that they have added is that a, I guess this is a recurring article called Glory Points in the White Dwarf. And it's going to be all about Warhammer Underworlds, which is pretty exciting. And uh, just before we get going here, we just want to say that if, if this is going to be a monthly article, we're not going to be talking about what's in the white dwarf every single month but we thought it was significant to make this i mean in, about this topic since it's the first like major yeah. feature article on tactics unless what the yeah. thing is in here i mean like if it's like something like abandoned restricted list or something like if it's of that caliber yeah. of impact we might talk about it and and the the this particular one is about uh the boards and how they have new names now uh we felt like this was uh worth going over yeah, it's pretty exciting because what they have done is they've uh, given a name to each of the different individual boards, which I think is a great thing because it just, you know, improves the the language that we communicate with each other when we talk about this game. You know, we talk about the names of the cards, we talk about the names of the characters, and the boards were, the, the fact that they didn't have names would be like, okay, so what board do you pick usually? Oh, the one with the, the two hexes, the blah, blah, blah. So, you know, now we have it in our, in the, the lexicon of the game. Right. And, 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 and I'm sure different metas were having their own ways of talking about things and it would just be really confusing. So now that they're, now they're just trying to standardize it, which is always a smart idea when it comes to anything that has so much, you know, it's so complex and has so much depth. It's, it's a good idea. Yeah. The picking the boards is a, has, does have a lot of depth uh, to your yeah, whole strategy. And, it, and it, I think it's underappreciated in the game. Yep. Yep. And they also have categorized what they call battlefield configurations, which is how you set up the board in the beginning of the game. Mm-hmm. So we have, if the, if the boards are just straight up with the long side touching each other, then that is called a wide deployment. And then if you have uh, what we usually call the hallway, which is when you have the two short tide sides uh, of the boards together, that is called long deployment. And just uh, pointing out, because there's a lot of confusion about this, especially with newer players that think that if you if you are um, setting it up the long way, which is where the two short sides of the boards are, are going up against each other, you have to put those flush with each other. You can't diagonally offset them um, because then you won't have enough full hexes in the board. So if you're going long, uh, it has to be exactly flush in this long rectangle. There's no other way to do it that way. 
Yep. Then finally we have the diagonal deployment, which is when you have the, it's kind of like the wide deployment, but you have offset the board a little bit. So yeah, like there's a, a minimum of three in between the two boards. And then remember three uh, hexes in between the right. boards. And you're allowed to only offset them by one hex if you want to do and have a very like mild zigzag yep. uh, diagonal one. But um, you'd ha there has to be at least three. So the bottleneck can't be any smaller than that. Mm -hmm. And then the article goes on. To, it, it's a very nice article. And it goes on to explain kind of how you want to orient the boards, depending on if you win or lose, which board to pick and sort of evaluating the, the situation when you're about to deploy onto the boards that are set up. And and they talk about um and and this by, by the way let's give him a shout out it's Dave Sanders who is the lead uh, rules writer for not just uh, Underworlds but also for Kill Team. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is this is a guy who probably knows that guy's been doing about. a good job. Oh yeah, making them a lot of money. Oh yeah, hey look if if he does that then we get to play our game so mm -hmm. I'm cool with that no problem there but he he does talk quite a bit about different board setups and like what you kind of want to look for we're going to talk a little bit about that right now and then um but what he doesn't really do and he talks about like general play styles that you would use for particular configurations uh we're going to get even uh deeper on it and we're going to talk about spe specific factions or specific cards that you can combo with certain board setups indeed yep um, so just remember, uh, you know, if you're playing wide, uh, typically you're going to want to, that's a good uh, setup if you're playing aggro, because it brings a lot of the starting hexes much closer to each other. So charges are a little bit more inevitable. And also it makes it a little bit easier to reach other sides of the board and uh, keep your um, opponents a little bit closer. Uh, do you want to talk about a uh, hallway or long? Yeah, long deployment is usually used if you're a defensive style warband or if you're just think if you think that you have like a less favorable matchup against another warband like let's say if you're playing against orcs or something like that or dwarves you can really you can you can leverage your own speed against them by putting it on the long deployment yep and then of course there's the diagonal and the diagonal which which joe used very very well against me creates a bottleneck so that all of the uh, your opponent's play, uh, fighters have to come through this small space, and then they're a little bit easier to target because you kind of know where they have to be. Um, it's also pretty good when it comes to certain um, objective play uh, because it protects uh, certain objectives depending on where you place them. <clears throat> um, another thing to understand, if you actually count the... <clears throat> the distance from the far diagonal to on your opponent's side to the to the back diagonal on your side is actually more hexes than f if you're set up in long deployment going from the the short side to the opposite player's short side it actually is more um more hexes for the diagonal so it's a little bit easier to actually hide in the back if you're diagonal interesting and well that that is if it's a very strong offset like if, if it's only like one it's closer to the wide setup but if you offset it completely the corner to corner really far distance yep and it's important yep. to when you're looking at each board to kind of evaluate certain things to see if you want to use it or not yeah. yeah you have to look at see the the general features on a board will they'll be blocked hexes you have to see if uh, and lethal hexes both of those could prevent you from 
doing things, or you could use those against your opponent. The other thing is, where are the starting hexes oriented on the board? That is very important. Yes, particularly yeah. if you're using lethal hexes. Because you Correct. don't want somebody to just like play distraction and just push you into lethal X. Yeah. Because you just happen to be standing there. But where they generally are on the board, you know, are they near the edges? Are they near the center? Are they kind of slanted to one side? That's that's one thing you really got to look at. Are you pressing them towards the, the bottleneck if you're playing diagonal? Are, are they thrown to the back? Um, yeah. So y you really only get to control your own side of the board. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, a, another huge issue here is whether or not you win the initial roll. And uh, there's only one case where you maybe don't want to win the roll, and that's if you're playing an objective deck. Because if you're playing an objective deck and you lose the roll, you get to put you get to place three of the objectives. Um, so it seems, uh, it, but, it, but in almost every other case, you probably want to win the role because then you get to dictate how the board is set up and then that can play to your own strategies and your own deck and whatever cards you've put in. Yeah. A lot of times you can get a pretty significant advantage by getting to place the board. Yeah. Um, another thing to worry about when you win the role is to take a look at how many fighters your opponent has, because if they have a small war band and uh, they can they, they can spread out the fighters or they can throw them to the back of the board. If they have a large war band, then you know that at least a couple of the fighters that they have have to be close to you. Um, and so that's always something to consider. Uh, think about how your starting hexes will line up with your opponents, because if you're playing wide, you may have to cover more distance to get to certain starting hexes. But if you offset it just slightly on a diagonal, you might be able to shorten those distance if that's something you want to do. Uh, you could also, of course, uh, diagonal it on the other side if you want their starting hexes to be a little bit further away from a particular starting hex of yours. So to, to look at how those starting hexes will line up and actually count the amount of distance between, uh, he, you know, uh, Dave Sanders talks about that in his in his article, but it is a good point to, to reiterate. Just take a look at where they put their starting hexes and, and where your starting hexes would be. And be mindful of the move characteristics of your warband versus your opponents. So for instance, if you have, if you're playing reavers and your opponent's playing dwarves, you have that distance advantage. So you don't have to put your, uh, your starting hexes necessarily so close to the dwarf uh, range you can maybe start a little bit further back and still be able to counter charge without any problems yeah but those dwarves are sneaky though they'll play yeah, know, they'll they play sneaky, spectral wings on your you yeah, like, he can't charge me huh? and one. then they play once. spectral wing yeah yeah but that's it you can just do it once your <laughs> other guys your other guys will be ready to go now if you lose the role there's a lot of stuff to consider as well uh first of all you have to remember that your opponent can rotate the boards and set them up however they want so you can present them with boards with starting hexes in an orientation that you want, but they could just turn the whole thing around. So, I do that all the time. Oh, yeah, where you like where it's kind of like, is this your card? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, is this how you want it? You want to put it together this way? And they're like, um, doom, 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 really? Doom. That board? Ha! Okay, Flip I'll it around. That. Yeah, but the thing is, like, people who don't know any better, they won't turn it around because yeah. <laughs> they don't know any better. So you just kind of do that. So, 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 uh, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of like that scene in the, in the Princess Bride where he's like, well, the, the powder can't possibly be in my wine because you presented it to me. Yeah. Ha, huh, but you knew that I was a Sicilian. And blah, 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 blah. So, like, yeah, your opponent's going to, like, try to do that to you. So definitely pick it up and turn it around 
consider where those starting hexes are and place them where you want them to be. Uh, don't don't let your opponent dictate that. Yeah, usually what people will do is they'll they'll be you know getting the boards out of their bag and then they'll hold the board like up in front of them in the mm -hmm. orientation that they want. You know, they'll be <clears> like they'll put it out like horizontal. They'll look at it. They'll flip it around maybe and be like, okay, this is what I want, I and then put it down and be like, this is my board, and then you just immediately pick it up and just flip it around. And they're like, oh, no. Yeah. All right, anyway. Just don't pay attention to that. Just pay attention to where his starting hexes or her starting, or their starting hexes are and uh, and where your starting hexes are, and just let that be the thing. But again, if you lose the roll, you don't really have a choice there. You just have to, you have to pick a board that's going to work. A another thing that you have to look is at is what type of warband are they playing? Because there are certain boards that, that certain factions don't want to see. Um, a really great example of this is uh, far striders because all of them uh, shoot things. Yeah, you don't want to see block taxes. You don't want to see block taxes yeah. exactly. And there's that one. Uh, let's see, what is it called? Which we'll talk about a little bit later. The soul refactor. Yeah. Which has a lot of block taxes all in the center, and it cuts off a lot of lines of sight. So even if you don't use that board, if your opponent is like plops down far striders, you should maybe want to use that board. And uh, another general strategy is don't pick boards with lethal hexes on them if you lose the roll-off, generally. Yeah. Unless you play Night Hunt, but generally they yeah. will tr they will orient the board to where it doesn't hurt them and hurts it you hurts more. You. Yeah. yeah, or they can just rotate it out of the way if they yep. don't want to deal with that. So, um, yeah. All right, uh, so you're ready to move on to yep. each one of the boards? All right, so let's do that. Um, so we're going to go through all the boards in the order that they appear on the bottom of the page. And we'll talk about each one. We'll talk about what sort of orientation, uh, sorry, what, what sort of features they have. And then uh, what sort of, what, just based on what they have on them, what sort of, uh, far, uh, what do I keep saying, far strikes? Which type of warbands um, are probably, would want to use them the most? Yep. So we're going to start with uh, the two boards that, <clears throat> that came out of the Shadespire core set back in season one. They're still legal. Yeah, and you can actually you we you can actually buy just these two boards on yeah. Games Workshop's website. If you didn't get the original Shadespire box set, like if you're coming into this game with Night yeah. Hunt, the boards are still worth having. Oh, definitely, because yes. a lot of them are really good, and you don't have to buy the whole set. You can just buy the two boards, but only from Games Workshop's official I seen website. Anywhere else? Yeah, uh, but but to be honest, I haven't really looked. But but one place that we it's not a product with like a job. you know a design package or anything. It's probably just one of the white Games Workshop boxes that has oh, the two I, boards I, in it. I would assume it would have the same packaging that the. Uh, no, so, sometimes when you buy stuff from Games Workshop and it's like you know refurbished or whatever, they send it to you in like a blank white box. Oh really? Which is what I'm assuming. Okay. This is all right, but I could be wrong. Anyway. Um. Okay. So the first one has a special name called the Mirror Well. Uh, if you're looking at it, this is the one that has like the broken statue face on the top and the mirrored well in the center. Mm -hmm. Hence the name. Well, the the, uh, the jacuzzi in the middle. Sure, it's good. Sure. Yeah. Uh, looks like a mirror. I know because there's like stuff on it. It's not water. If it was water, all those little pieces. Well, it used there. to be a jacuzzi, and then they turned okay. it into glass. There you go. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. All right, so uh, this particular one has only two starting hexes on edge hexes, 
and it has two areas where you can, where you can deploy characters side by side, which is important in a couple of warbands like the Gabos and the Zinch. Uh, so we're going to mention that if it comes up. Um, now, uh, the rest of it has, there are no starting hexes right down the center line, but there are a couple ones kind of like on the second lines from the outside. Uh, so it's pretty balanced. Uh, what do you think about this one, Randall? Uh, this one's definitely interesting. It, it encourages you to go wide with your deployment, but it also has the two adjacent hexes. Yeah, I think that if you're playing aggro... Two sets of adjacent wanna, hexes. Yeah, I think if you're playing aggro and you want to play a little wide, maybe you press those two doubles up towards your opponent and use them. Mm -hmm. So this is good for a warband with a lot of speed. Uh, let's say Reavers or, or Skaven, maybe. Yeah, if you're playing aggro Skaven. Yep, and then it's also uh, could be a good choice for goblins because having the two adjacent hexes will allow you to get those uh, scurry movements off. Yeah, pretty there's easily. A lot of, there's a lot of, um, if I remember correctly, there's a lot of objectives involved with just moving the gobos around. Yep, the mad scurry is the yeah the best one. If you move, if you if you make five move actions, then you get two. Uh, score immediately, Glory. Yeah, another thing you could do I think is, score that, is that lion weight counterattack thing against an aggro if you have a faster warband where you can actually put them pretty far back because you can turn it so that those starting hexes are towards you and then have like another warband that's not as fast uh, coming at you, like let's say orcs or dwarves, and you can kind of sit in the back, wait for them to come in, and then use your speed <clears throat> to hit them if you're playing yeah. aggro scaven or reavers or something like that yeah you can set it up so where there, there's four hexes towards the back yep yep so i mean it, it i think it's a pretty good overall balanced wide open thing is it the best board um in certain situations i think it is pretty good i you know but play around with it certainly um but it does give you a lot of options i don't know if i'd play defensive or objective with this though nope nope uh flex or aggro flex or aggro i would mm -hmm. say Okay, you ready to move on to the next one? Yep. Okay, you ready for this? Shaishian Stardial? Shaishian? Shaishian Stardial. Nice. I got it right on the second. Shaish is the realm of death in. Or the, yeah, in Age of Sigmar. Sure. That's a thing. Yep. Okay. All right. So the Shaishian Stardial. Now, this has four. Uh, four starting hexes on the edge, and they are both on the long edge of the board. Mm -hmm. And this is also notable because it has two side by side starting hexes in two locations, and they're 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 far away from each other, and they're on opposite edges. So you got you have that on both sides, no matter how you rotate it. Um, another thing that this one has is the only triplet of blocked hexes where you have uh, three block hexes all in a row. Um, what do we think here, Randall? Well, anytime you see three block hexes close together like that, you think you're, I'm thinking of uh, defensive-style warbands. Absolutely. You're going to try to use that, that block to, yeah, to pillow fort. Yep. I, I like this on... Uh, oh, we should make that. We should make, like, 3D pillows. Right. And then just have, like, oh, that would be awesome. Yep. You could... Uh, a little pillow fort. This is good for diagonal deployment too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially if you want to play like deep in the zone, like if you're playing defensive Yep. or even, um, yeah. 
Uh, maybe even if you're doing objectives, I, I can kind of see situations where that would be good. The other thing is like if, if your opponent turns the board around the other way, there's still two starting hexes behind the pillow for it. So I'm going to call it that now. So, um, so you can still hide a couple guys back there. Um, I, I think that this actually works in either orientation. Even if you do it, I mean, if you do it long, even you can you can fit a couple in in the back over there because if you do long deployment and your opponent throws the uh, the um, the block hexes into the back, you still have four starting hexes all the way in the back. Yep, so, I think the ideal time to use this would be if you win the board roll off and you want to place it, place you can put it on the diagonal yeah, with the then, terrain feature towards the yeah, their side. The, yeah, exactly. I think okay. it's a good call. All right. So that's good. Uh, moving on, the second double-sided board that came out of the the Shade Spire pack. Oh, this one. Oh, I love this one. This is the one I use all the time if I win the board roll because you're because I'm playing Magors. This is called Cataphrane's Reliquary, where all the relics are. And you know what? I didn't like look at it really closely, but if you look if you look at the back, the actual art on it, it seems like all of these little kind of like maybe tome tombs or something like that and then they've all been broken into yeah pretty crazy this right. this uh it's the cataphrane's relic board this is you have to yeah. pay two glory for this one uh, yeah <laughs> there you go <laughs> what is that so you have to pay like 120 dollars instead of 60 yeah, yeah. To buy the pack if you okay i got you so um because i've never actually looked at the art but it's actually pretty cool um so this is one that i like to use with magors let's talk about it for a second first of all we have five count them five starting hexes on edges wow that is quite a lot there's one on each board and two on one of the short sides one on each edge and then two on one of the short edges uh let's see going back to my notes there we go um there's at least one on each edge which is unusual actually and there are two side-by-side -side deployments. No, there's only one side-by-side -side deployment. I did that wrong. There's only one side-by-side. -side. Yep. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Get rid of that. Not that, not that anybody can see the notes. All right. Um, so, yeah. So, again, I think that if you're playing anything. No features at all on this board. No features at all. Completely wide open. I think that if you're playing Magors, Orcs, anything aggro, and you win the roll, uh, this puts your fighters right up in your opponent's face. Yep. And I think that's pretty great. Um, I I will often take this one and play it very slightly diagonal, like maybe one hex or two, um, so that uh, so that it lines up some of my opponent's starting hexes with these starting hexes, and sh sort of shortens the uh, the charge distance. Uh, so I'll, I'll I'll use that to my advantage sometimes. Also, it has other. Um, it has other uh, starting hexes just around on, on the edges. So if I draw hidden paths, I can throw it a little, maybe a little bit further back to protect uh, a fighter from getting charged right away, but then still be able to throw uh, hidden paths and get uh, behind somebody. Yeah, this one is also really nice for any warband with a lot of speed, like Skaven and Reavers again, yeah. uh, because it allows it you to deploy. Direction. Yeah. It works in any direction. It allows you to deploy very wide so you can sort of bait somebody into an attack and then they're all on that one side now yep and you can still reach them because you have the, the the movement to get there yep I can see this is a fantastic board I can one see of the best in the game oh it's really very good 
It's just because it just for it, it's good. It's good for particular warbands if you're doing aggro, if you're doing uh, maybe like a flex team. Um, I don't know if I would use this for defense, and I certainly wouldn't use it. Maybe maybe I definitely nah, need for defense. Definitely not. And probably not for objective stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, unless you unless you have like kind of slower objective stuff. So maybe if you have you know dwarves you need like an open straight line to everything then maybe you use it um for an objective but i, I wouldn't use it for basically any other objective based deck yep yep all right ready to move on yep good the hidden tower the shattered tower shattered tower yep all right so the shattered tower has three uh starting hexes on edges they're only on two of the board edges, uh, one on a long and then one on a very closely adjacent on a short. There's two um, on the long side. There's two on one of the long sides. Yeah, and one and on the one short on, side. One on the short side on, on the right side of that. Um, oh, well, I guess, hold on, sorry. So the long, the long edge is on the right and then it has a starting edge on the bottom, mm -hmm. the short edge, okay. Basically, I'm, I'm basing this based on uh, the way that they oriented them in the pictures in the magazine uh, article. Um, where are we? Okay, this has three blocked hexes again, but instead of all three of them being together, it has two blocked skip a space that's open and then another blocked hex, uh, which is an interesting configuration. And it has one side by side, and that side by side is basically as far away from the uh, the objectives, uh, the, sorry, the, the blocked hexes as you can possibly get on the other side of the board. Um, what do we think about this one, Randall? This one again, I like in the defensive setup. Yep. Because it allows you to block off and sort of funnel your your opponent has to funnel in. It really limits their approach. Mm. They can only get at you from, you know, one hex on each side. Yeah, or they have to run around the whole thing. Right. So if if you can. But either way, they can. They only have one way to get to you. Depending, they have three different paths, but there's only one one way that's X efficient. that they can yeah. that they can push through. Yeah. The other thing to think about here, not that I would do this personally, but I can see maybe somebody doing this is if if you're playing with like say Shardfall or if you're playing with Ren the Earth, which is the one that makes it a lethal hex, right? Mm -hmm. um, you could conceivably stick that in the hole. Yeah. and then have this really big pillow for it. Yeah, that would be funny. That would be funny. I think that that's... It, I see it as possible, but not necessarily a, a economical solution for that. Um, but it would be interesting, and it would certainly stymie any sort of aggressive warband trying to get around. It would just take forever. So um, it's something to think about. I don't know. Um, but uh, great we to like this one for defense. Very, very great for for defense actions, especially if you have a low model count. I, I don't know if I would do it if you're defensive with a higher model count because you would have to, in that case, put two uh, close to your opponent's board because two I, of those starting hexes are on the wrong side of the blocked hexes. Yep. I have seen people with skeletons use this board, though. Do they use it with the blocked hexes towards the back? Yeah. Or in front? To towards the back. the back. And then they, then they hide the warden back there. Yep. And usually, they usually hide the warden and one petitioner there. That one petitioner usually goes and gets an objective, right? And then is they this have. What, is this what Eric, how Eric plays it? Is this the one he likes? Because uh, he plays. I mean, he I think so. But, yeah, he plays and then, uh, guard all the time. I think he's used that this on me before. And then they have mm -hmm. the, um, you know, having the the 
the edge hexes on the the opposite side be close to your opponent isn't quite as bad because they can revive and still charge so he'll usually put his champion yeah right there or um the harvester or something like that there so that he can get a nice attack off i i feel like he's played a different board against me i can't remember which one this anyway i think it's a good this is a pretty good, good board it's, it's up there playing defensive but the thing is is that those those two boards with both of their sides all of them are kind of good out of this out of the original season one like yep. there's really none of them where i'm looking at it and going like eh, i don't really know what i would use this for like all of them seem pretty good i like the reliquary and the shattered tower the most out of the original yeah that board boards that board's pretty good that board is pretty good all right um so now we're going to move on to the uh what was it called the shattered city board pack or something like that that came out i don't know yes the did I get that right? Mirrored City board pack. No. No. No, the Shattered City. Shattered board City pack. board pack. That was the one that everybody was deriding because it was too expensive. Yeah, that was $25 yeah. for one yeah, board. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. When you consider that that the the core sets are 60 and they come with two full warbands and a ton of cards, all the dice, all the tokens and two boards in it and that was 60 bucks mm -hmm. and then you're asking us to spend 25 just on one board now granted a lot of people were poo-pooing on because i can't use curse words right because i'd love to use curse words are you sure you can i was just joking before people were shitting on this thing yep. when it came out um and did i say did i say shitting loud did you enough? say it with enough okay. bold yeah bold underlined the shit larger font yeah but this was the first time we ever saw Comic lethal Sam hexes shitting yeah but yeah it was the right exactly so it introduced lethal hexes which was kind of cool and there's a lot of like you know worried like you know oh well, if you go into lethal hex do you take like one damage every activation every turn no, yeah it, it was a little confusing at first yeah. it didn't seem good to do at first we i mean oh, yeah, everybody, I think everybody played that game it. where they kind of didn't respect the 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 lethal hexes and then they died because of it also, right, we didn't have like, war, uh, night haunt in the on in the game yet. Right, they could just ignore it. Yeah, yeah. So th these boards were not really received well. I think the impression of them has changed over time, but uh, I, yeah, they weren't. I think that they've been they've been exonerated a little bit. They were still too expensive, but I don't remember the twenty five bucks that I spent. But I do remember winning some games with this thing. Yep. So let's uh, let's, let's talk, talk about, about this one. Absolutely. We'll start with the arcane nexus, which is the blue side. Um, and this is the one that has the three lethal hexes in it. Uh, let's see, where are we? This has three starting hexes on edges, and it was one, two, three. Yeah, that's it, just three. Oh, no, four. Four. Two of them are on the top short edge, and two of them are on the left side long edge. And um, let's see. So uh, we also have... Where, where, where am I? I three my... lethal oh, hexes. Narrative thread. We have three lethal hexes. They're arranged in a triangle, and they're far enough away from each other. They're like two. Uh, they're two, at least two uh, hexes away from each other right. in between. And then we have one side by side. The only issue here um, that we have is that two of the starting hexes are directly next to a lethal hex. So if you're going to use this one, you have to be mindful of that and get and be mindful of uh, other other people charging in on you and and landing uh, a shot and then pushing you into one of the lethal hexes. So uh, for me, this actually is now the one that I use when I lose the board roll, which people out there might be <gasps> aghast 
that I would use this if I lose the board right. with these lethal hexes. Well, here's the thing that I do. So first of all, rationale, rationale time. So I play Magors, as I may have mentioned. Have I mentioned that before? Yep. I don't, I, I can't recollect if I mentioned it before. Have I ever mentioned well, that before? Did I play you have. Okay, good. Okay, so here's the thing. So here, here's the thing. I, I need to, my, my deck needs to charge. If, if I don't, it's trouble. So what I've noticed about this particular board is that no matter which way my opponent turns it, I have at least three good starting hexes near the board edge that connects to their board edge. And that just cuts down on the negative, uh, you know, impact of the way that they will put it up together. The um, the only drawback is that if they put it a certain way, then I have one starting hex where somebody could completely just charge me and push me into a lethal hex. And of course, I'll just put Gartok there. Right. You can put Gartok there because he cannot be driven back. So you, exactly. you are able to get around the... Uh... Just because of the faction that I'm playing. The clause of don't ever, you know, pick boards with lethal hexes on them if you lose the roll-off, but you're able to sort of get around that because it gives you such a huge advantage in positioning, and also you can put the guy that can't be driven back on uh, the one that's close to the, the hazard. Right, so I say that if you're playing um, an aggressive deck, Magor's Orcs, they're kind of okay with being driven into, or even I've seen some people. Try yeah, you might die, but you them, might also get inspired. Yeah, get inspired, and then that's a thing. Um, and also, if you're playing aggressive far striders, I don't think it's a terrible one to do because you can shoot over them. Yeah, and you can also, um, you know, also you only have three guys in the warband, so uh, th those three starting hexes that are close to the edges. Yeah, you don't have to use yeah. the ones that are close to the lethal hexes. Because you right. only have three in your warband. Exactly. So um, I, I do think that that board is a little bit better than people gave it um, gave credence to yep. like, earlier on. It's a useful board to use when you lose the roll-off with uh, aggressive warband. Yes, absolutely. I, I suggest you, you give it a try, and, and you'll see. Um, so next, if you flip it over, we go to what is called the what we used to call the red side, and now we call the Animus Forge. Now, the Animus Forge, I also originally thought was a pretty terrible deck, but uh, it's a terrible board. But now looking at it, um, I, there are a couple, uh, there are a couple situations where I can see this board being essential actually. And let's just talk about it first. Uh, we have four starting, uh, starting hexes on the edges. Um, we have two on the left side, one towards the top and one towards the bottom right-hand side. We also have uh, two lethals. Uh, they are, they're singles and they're decently spread out. One's kind of towards the top and one's way at the bottom. And then we also have two blocked hexes, one dead center uh, towards the top and one kind of in the middle of the board on the right side. Um, there is also one side-by-side -side deployment and that's in the middle of the board kind of, um, a little bit towards the bottom. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about this board is that it's the only one that has a lethal hex adjacent to a block hex. Yep. So we, what? what? Yeah, go ahead, Randall. Go I was it. just going to say, we, we, we're definitely going to see this a lot from defensive war bands who win the board roll. Yes, I do think so. Yeah, because you're able to set it up where if you do the long deployment, you're able to set it up where the opponent has to go past two 
block Texas and at least one lethal. Yeah, and, and they have to kind of go around. Of starting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And five of the starting hexes are either in that vicinity or behind it. So uh, it, it it makes it so that whoever's running in on you either has to go through one bottleneck or another bottleneck or run through a lethal hex. Yeah. So uh, so I I can see this being used to to great effect. Yeah, and I think before the the new boards came out, a lot of people were using this if they lost the roll off with um, an aggressive warband too. I saw people use that. Oh, really? One. Yeah, oh, because I... of the it has the ones on the edges. Yeah, but it's on the on different one sides. Side, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I would it's not great, but it, I don't think it's great. The, yeah. I think it's better used for defensive if you win. I think it's but yeah, I think it's definitely if 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 you play defensive and you win the roll. Uh, that's pretty good. I could see maybe the Zinch using this. Yeah, you could. I could because because you also have those right next to each other. So you got the, the whole Kacharik. You put Vortimus in the front. Yeah. Kacharik behind him, and then uh, Vortimus can shoot somebody coming through one of the uh, one of the holes, and then Kacharik gets inspired, and you can run Kacharik in at them. Mm -hmm. It's a little uh, dicey when you have um, a seven model warband because you have to put one yeah, you have to right on the edge drive. if you want to do yeah. that. Yeah, right on their board edge, which is kind of annoying. Sure. I mean, I think Chain Rasps might want to use this one. Mm-hmm. Yep. You could just push them back right, around, yeah, and they might there, still yeah. have to, yeah, on the yeah. first activation. You're going to push anyway on your first activation. That's what every yeah. Nighthaunt player does. Yeah, if, if you're playing Nighthaunt, you have to play something with, with lethal hexes on Yeah, you might as well. You just have, you, yeah, exactly. You might as well. Um, all right, that sounds good on that one? Yep. All right, so that that board pack actually actually ended up being they high. were interesting, yeah. It ended up night. All right, so let's 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 uh, let's not. It could be, I don't know, five ten bucks less expensive. I mean, there's yeah, no Games way, Workshop. Don't do no that. There's no way again. it cost twenty five dollars to make that thing. That that couldn't have been more than yeah. a few dollars. Yeah, and it kind of came like out. It came out at the same time as the leader the cards. Pack, ugh. And yeah, which like, a lot of people didn't like. There weren't that many cards, so it was like, oh, wow, yeah. I spent, you know, fifty, sixty dollars on some some DLC Crappy content for Shadespire yeah. and it wasn't even that good. Two cards that maybe are useful. Yeah, there weren't many good cards in that pack. It was uh it was not it was not it was not high times for this game, let me tell you. It was not the it's not the Halcyon days for this game. Yeah. All right. That was so, a dark uh, time. Yeah, was, that was a dark and stormy whatever mm -hmm. time of year. What when, when did that come out? Like in September or something? I don't remember. Yeah. I don't know. All right, so let's uh, let's back it up. Um, so no, no, sorry, let's not back it up. Let's go forwards. We're yeah. gonna now move on to Night Vault. Uh, Night Vault. All right, so here are the two uh, the two main boards that came in. Sorry, the only two boards that came in Night Vault. We're gonna go over them. Uh, we're gonna start with the Cursed Oubliette. Now the Cursed Oubliette, mine is already kind of falling apart over here. Um is a it's a big open wide board you must use it a lot i don't actually oh okay i, I never use this one um i i wouldn't use it with magors because and we'll talk about it why all right well let's keep going first it has it has three it has three starting hexes on edges um one thing that is interesting about this one is that it does have two starting hexes on completely opposite corner hexes that is interesting so, yeah so if you're like extreme flanking maybe mm -hmm. you might want to think about this one maybe i don't know the only problem is that one of them has to be really close to your opponent's board no matter what happens oh no that's not even true because you can put it on diagonal you could do diagonal yeah yeah okay so forget that so there is there is a way that there's a pretty good uh you know uh maybe gabos 
I don't know. Anyway, so uh, they also have uh, the other four hexes are kind of sorted in a straight line right down the center. And uh, with one of them a little bit offset. And then there's uh, one side by side. I, I see this again as a good one for Reavers or Agro Skaven, the same way that the mirrored, uh, the, the mirror well was, I thought was pretty good for that too. Um, because you can actually use the midline and, and then again, use the speed of, of the, um, the, the fighters to kind of go at things that can't reach you necessarily right away. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, I think Zinch, if you're playing, like if you want an open board and you're playing Zinch, I think this one is also pretty good for that. You can put yeah, I like this one behind, you know, and then you can put the what's it, Vortimus and Kacharik on the double. Yeah, I like that. The double, the 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 two side by side he uh, starting hexes on this board because they're in the dead center yeah. of the board if you wanted to do it on a wide deployment. So, you know, if you lose the board roll off and you still want to have that adjacent hex there, your opponent can oriented so that the uh, the two adjacent hexes are closer to them and charge you on turn one which sometimes you don't want so i like the having it you know in the middle of the board like that yep that's pretty good uh, and you can also play it like long just to kind of accentuate that that distance depending mm -hmm. on what type of um what type of warband you play again if, if you have a chargey warband with like a with a lot of speed I, I do think that this is a decent board for them. Yeah, I don't think this board is good on the long deployment, really. Mm. I think it's better for no, wide. I mean, if, I mean, like, if you're playing Reavers, for instance, because if you look over here... Well, if like, you know they're going to go... Yeah, you can just If have, you like, know they're going to go long deployment, if you lose the board roll-off. Yeah, yeah, just because um, they're, they're kind of in the middle, so no matter which way they go. But even if, you're play, even if you win the board roll-off and you just want to, like, again, create a little bit extra distance, like, again, they're playing dwarves or they're playing uh orcs which don't move particularly far then you can have all your guys kind of sitting around in the center mm -hmm. and uh and then when they move in which they're totally going to do you can use your speed to like overtake whatever they whatever they you know deficiencies they have in speed i, I can kind of i can kind of see that yeah but again you have to kind of look at where which board they chose and like you know how many how many guys can i actually hit if i put it that way Interesting board. Yep, I think so. It's interesting. I don't know if it's the best board, but it's I, kind I of similar to Cataphrane's Reliquary from the original set. Oh no, I disagree because it's kind of it's 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 only similar in the fact that it's wide open. There's no black hexes or anything like that. But this one seems to have most of the concentration of of starting hexes in the center, whereas the Reliquary has them kind of more towards the outside. So these are a little bit more concentrated. Okay. Yep. All right. So let's flip over. Let's yep. go to the next one. This is called the Penitent's, Penitent's Throne. This has four starting hexes on edges, and uh, they are on two total, sorry, three total, right? Because we have two on the left side, one on the top, and one on the bottom right, but nothing on the bottom. Um, there, are, there are two sets of side-by-side uh, -side deployments, uh, one double-blocked and two lethals, that are uh, kind of in the, in, in the middle and the middle top left. Sorry, there's one in the middle and one in the top left. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think this is good for a defensive Warmand. Um, you could certainly turn it, if you want to play like a wide deployment on a defensive Warband, this would be pretty good because you can throw the lethals 
and the uh, and the blocked hexes towards your opponent and kind of hide behind there. There are four starting hexes that are more towards the back. Um, this is also the board that um, that Joe used both times on me. Mm-hmm. And he set it up diagonal uh, with the when when I'm looking at it coming off the Cataphrane's reliquary and pushing all my things kind of close. Uh, oh no, you know what? Maybe I did it. Well, anyway, I'm liking this one for the defensive setup huh. because it has the a lot of the starting hexes are farther away from the lethals and they're closer to the block hexes. So you can kind of set it up the board where you're oh, yeah. forcing your opponent yeah. to either come through the lethal and then you can use the block hexes to uh, sort of run away from them, kind of. Right. Yeah, 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 you're right. Because six out of the seven are behind the lethals if you set it up the long way. Yeah, mo- most of them are. Yeah. Yeah. When, most when of those jo- starting hexes are slanted to one side of the board. Yeah, those lethal hexes were right in front of me when I was coming in. Mm-hmm. That might that might have actually been a big mistake for me. Because now, now that I'm looking at it, because I, I put down the re- reliquary and I was doing my little um, diagonal thing. Maybe I won the board rolls on that. I, I don't remember because it was a couple of weeks ago already. Um, and then that, that might have actually been a piloting error because I totally... Maybe that's why you lost. I set him up, yeah, because I was getting pushed into those. I should have flipped his around the other way. Gone in and would have been cleaner. All right. Well, again, that's the reason. Yeah, see, that's the reason why it's important to pay attention to the boards. It's not something. It's not something that you... look. You, you can't go to these boards and just like throw something down and go like, ah, ah. Yeah. like you have to look at them and you have to make a, you have to make a, a, an executive decision about which way to put it and you know, which one to choose. Uh, all right. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a bit. Let's go talk about these last two. All right. Yep. So last two, uh, we're going to talk about uh, this one over here first, which is called the soul refractor. Uh, this is a pretty good one. I, I like this for a couple of different things. Uh, there are four, starting hexes on edges and they are technically one on every uh on every board edge uh with one of them in the corner so again if you're if you're looking for a uh an extreme flank play an extreme flank play then then you could just set up in that or a hidden paths play yep absolutely a lot of good stuff there uh there is one side-by-side deployment uh, sort of in the top area on the far end of the block taxes, which there are three set up in a triangle shape. People were calling this the pyramid board because not only are the block taxes shaped like a triangle, but the block taxes themselves look like little pyramid things. Mm-hmm. And I, and I believe the, uh, the, the purchasable. Yeah. You can buy the little plastic terrain yeah, pack if, if you want to yeah. pack, have those little, uh, pyramids pyramid things in it thank you all right so um i, I see people using this a lot with curse breakers mm-hmm. uh just because it, it provides you with that extreme flank there's a lot of the only issue with me and, and using curse breakers on this is that if you want to shoot with storm sire it makes it a little bit difficult but um he does poke two away so you can kind of sit him in the center and if anybody comes anywhere near the the block taxes he can just kind of poke at things um but it sets up extreme flank really nicely i'm i'm liking this board when you're up against war bands with a lot of ranged yeah, attacks yeah. if your opponent as i was saying before if your opponent has far striders even if you don't like or storm board, sire or storm sire or anything or vortimus anybody mm-hmm. who's going to be shooting because there's a lot of shooting going on in, in the in the zinch 
I, I do think that you play this even if it's not your favorite board, just because if they try to come in on you, you'll have, be blocking. Uh, the, it'll cut off a lot of their routes of attack. Yeah, it becomes really to awkward to try to shoot people with yeah, with, uh, yeah, with these block texts the way they are. Yeah. So they, I mean, they don't want to see that. So just anything you can do to screw up your opponent, just show them that. And you can like, deploy very close to them too. Yeah, yeah, you can deploy right very close to the block Texas and yeah, get inside the. Kind of get inside of it. Yeah, you don't want to be in the very center hex where the little white circle is in the very center. No, those are three. Those are three around that little white circle. Yeah, I'm just saying, but you don't want to ever put one of your guys in that very center hex. Well, you don't want to block them in. Oh, my bad. Okay, that's not even a hex. Yeah, okay, it's not even a hex. okay, no, my bad. In the center of three hexes, but the thing is, is that. You know, it can also work against you if you're not careful where you have, uh, you know, um, um, your your opponent can put a, a fighter kind of on one of the routes of escape and then another fighter on the other side. So you can escape out into another area where there's just another fighter that's going to get you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you got to be careful on that if you're going to use it. Yeah, I but in general, I like this one if your opponent is playing ranged. Yep, absolutely. Okay. All right. Last one is the ruptured seal, um, and the ruptured seal has three starting hexes on edge hexes, which constitute three of the board edges total. Two of them on the left, one of them in a corner on the top right, and another one on the right side towards the top. There are also uh, there's also one side by side deployment, and three lethal hexes, including a double lethal hex on one side of the board and a single lethal hex on the other side of the board. Um, yeah, this is the only board that has adjacent lethal hexes. It's also the only board where I'm looking at it and going like, what would enjoy this? Yeah. Because I, I would like to say that um, that aggro would use it, but to be honest with you, with, with the lethal hexes in there, I don't know if they would. Um, there's not enough blocking going on for... Um, you know, objective or defensive play based play um, because the lethal hexes are so wide set that there's just this big old like open area in the middle. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, I don't think that this really favors anybody in particular. Yeah. I haven't, I don't think I've seen anybody use this and yeah. I don't think I've ever used it myself. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's something, but it, it, whatever it is, whatever it is that you would use this for, it's not super obvious. Um, mm -hmm. Also there's like a weird kind of wonky, like on the on the top of the board, the this the everything's kind of the um, starting hexes are spread out, and on the bottom side of the board, they're kind of smushed up towards the middle left. So uh, yeah, know. a lot of the starting hexes are pretty close to that double lethal hex. Yeah, that which can be like, kind of risky. I was thinking like maybe Night Haunt yeah. might want to use this, but I don't really. I mean, just because it's got lethal hexes. Yeah, on Night it. Haunt with the but the, the problem with the Night Haunt is that you if you put it, I, I was thinking you could put it diagonally with the two lethal hexes, uh, and in it, the yeah. in the block. But then you'd have two starting hexes that are right yeah. there, and you'd have to put two chain rasps there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This is the only one that I couldn't really figure out what you would use it for. I yeah. Don't know. Anyway, um, so the starting just, hexes are too close to the double. Yeah. Lethal so, is the the big problem. So, hey, uh, everybody uh, who's listening out there, do us a favor. Go on the Facebook site, uh, which is, as you remember, facebook.com slash BFSUW, BFSUW, I was right, podcast, and uh, put a post on there. Tell us what faction you like to play and what boards you like to use and why. We'd be curious to know what you think. 
Um, right. I want to see. I want to see what your faction is. I want to see your board that you pick when you win, and what board you pick when you lose, and the rationales. Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah, don't, right, don't think about the the matchup really. Just and also, think don't, about your don't, favorite. Don't make ones. us have to guess. Yeah, like like tell us please. Um. Anyway, so Randall, you good to go? Yep, I'm Ready done. To go to keys to salvation. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh. So I'm going to do keys to salvation because there was an interesting situation that happened between me and you the other day when we were playing and i made a curse breakers deck because i wanted to expand my horizons a little bit and people have been raving about them and and that's fine so i want to try something out okay so this is what happened um for those of you at home um so i'm playing him whatever you're playing your aggressive far strider deck Yep, I'm trying out the aggressive Far Strider deck. It's aggressive Far Strider, so you run in there, and then there's all those like single point yeah, of damage it, cards. Like, what's the one? There's there's the Raptor. Yeah, quick strike, quick explanation of the Rado. deck. Yeah, quick explanation of the deck. Most of the objectives are score immediately that have to do with attacking mm-hmm. and killing guys. Yep. <laughs> and then most of the ploys are involve uh, movement and the. the Landing cards hand. like that do one of unavoidable damage like you know uh with this one exactly. lethal ward pit uh encroaching shadow yep and raptor strike yep and you know pit trap and What's the one if you're things like that objective token lethal ward lethal ward That's yeah and then a lot of the upgrades are kind of defensive oriented some Shard offensive Gale, ones in there Gale. don't forget about shard Gale. oh yeah i have shard gale yeah correct yep. as a ploy that's unavoidable damage and uh, a lot of the upgrades are more health, more defense, reroll defense, you know, things like that to keep them alive once I get to the other side of the board. So the, my general game plan is to run to the other side of the board right away, start shooting, uh, playing cards that hopefully one shot or just do a lot Which of damage. Okay. Which is fine. All right. Mm-hmm. Now, here, well, here's the point, though. The point is that I played you in a game where you literally rolled crits every roll. Do you remember that? Yeah, pretty much. Every, not yeah. not all my defense rolls, but most of the attack roll. I mean, I'm rolling three dice every time. So so here's the issue. Was was my curse break? Because I lost terribly. Was my no, I deck bad? No, I don't think your deck was bad. There I were there were the, but in both either. of the the rounds that we played, I got damage through on Stormsire that could kill him before you even did anything with him. Right. So which here's is, the tip. Which is huge. Yeah. Here's the tip. The tip is if you're if you think you have a good deck, you have to get a good sample size before you are able to make a determination. What I mean by that, what I mean by sample size is that in order for your and this is just a, a very simple scientific method, you know, concept, is that you need to have enough data to make the data mean something. Um, if you think about it this way, if you flip a coin and it comes up heads, and then you stop the experiment there. Right. And that's it. That was my entire experiment. I wanted to know if I flip a coin, what's the chance it'll come up heads. I flip it once and I look it's heads. Okay. Well then my conclusion has to be a hundred percent of the time. If I flip that coin, it's going to be heads. Now we know that to be wrong. It's 50 50, but since I didn't have enough data to come to the proper conclusion, my conclusion ended up being invalid. And this is also true of of, of underworlds when you put a deck together don't play one deck don't play one game and then say like oh i didn't do well it's over like no that doesn't make any sense that's like flipping the coin once and it being heads and you saying it's always going to be heads 
that was the problem with the game that I played with you, Randall, is that you played, you just threw crit after crit after crit after crit. Like, and it seemed like your deck couldn't do anything about it. And I couldn't do anything about it, but that's just because you were rolling ridiculously hot. So that was an anomalous reading. That's something that should have actually been basically ignored in the, in the data analysis. Yeah. You have to play. What I'm saying is you have to play any deck you put together. You got to play at least, you know, five or so full matches with it against five or so different factions just yeah. to make sure and, and different play styles like don't just play against aggro orcs and then aggro skaven and then aggro you know uh far striders and then aggro magors because then you just know if it's good against aggro decks so you have to make sure that you're playing uh, against uh other different factions with different uh, abilities different um, you know, play styles, different uh, people with different piloting abilities. And you have to look for a deck that's going to be good most of the time against most of the factions, no matter how the dice variance is rolling for you. Right. And you might so, just have a you might just have a bad matchup against a certain uh, specific warband. And that doesn't mean that your deck is terrible and you should take it apart. It just means that you have that one bad matchup. You have to play it differently than you right. normally do. You don't necessarily have to change your deck. It might just be your approach that's different. Right. So for instance, like if I was playing my Magor's deck and I, and you were playing Turtle Cast back before the Woo Bar, I, I would think that deck was terrible because because yeah. because that the Turtle Cast was like the hard counter against the Magor's. And uh, and I'll always say that I'm not salty. I'm not salty. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm not salty about that, Randall. I'm not still totally salty. Not. About I'm not. I'm not salty about it, but here's the point is that it's that I would think if you played turtle cast and we were just playing together all the time and I was playing the Magors and I would lose a lot, I would think that the deck was kind of average or maybe not that good. But then if I were to go, but then when I go and play it against other people, you might see that it actually does work a lot better. And it's just that particular thing that you have to worry about. And then maybe just chain tweak your deck a little bit, but not too much just to make sure that it works against that against that uh, you know play style and faction as well but it, you got to play a lot of games and by the way who doesn't want to play more games it's a good idea yeah. what i'm saying is collect your data don't jump to conclusions about whether it's amazing or whether it's terrible based on one game because it makes no sense statistically and another thing you have to think about is you have to if you're going to a tournament you have to construct a deck you have to construct a take all comers deck right right where you where it's kind of it's kind of good against everything and then you the way that you play it determines which is harder to win yeah so you have to and you think about it you have to be able to defeat stormcast eternals in round one and then goblins in round two and then you know magors in round three or something like that you know so you you can't have your deck be slanted towards uh one side obviously but you also you may have to include a couple of cards that you know Give you an edge in certain yeah. matchups, and you have to, you know, accept the fact that a lot of those cards might not be good in other matchups. You know, like Shard Gale, for example, is incredibly good against seven model or nine model warbands when you're playing as a Far Strider. You know, that only has three. Right. But if you're playing against Stormcast Eternals or or Magors or something like that, it's not going to be quite as good. Right. And for you know, those might, of you yeah. at home, you might end way, up going even with it rather than having that huge lopsided amount of damage go onto their side of the board. Right. And for those of you at home, um, you, you may be, you know, thinking that like, 
you know, that we talk about um, certain cards as not being good or certain factions as not being good. We just want you to know that when we say these things, th these are the uh, parameters that are in our minds when we make these decisions. Is, is it going to work against everything? Um, it's part of the reason why pre-Wubar everybody was using the same, like 60% of the same cards, because those were the cards that worked in every situation. Um, so it's a lot more challenging to build a deck now that's going to be able to do that. Uh, so, so winners of tournaments, I think going forwards are going to, it's going to come a little bit more into dice rolling, a little bit more into piloting and not so much the, you know, the cards piloting themselves. So, so keep in mind that everybody is struggling with the same stuff, but you have to make sure that you're doing, uh, enough varied play testing before you come to the conclusion that a particular war band, you know, matches your play style or is successful. Don't, don't just, you know, play it once or twice and be done with it. Play it for like a couple of weeks, play it for, for at least a few you know, trips to the the local, you know, game store and and play as many different people as you can playing different factions as you can and just see if that works. See, really actually see if it works. Yeah, and seek out different matchups a lot. You got to travel a lot to play this game. I've, I've noticed and, and play yeah. different people. You know, you might coast. You think it wouldn't be so difficult because all the cities are close to each other. Yeah, you think so. It's a little tough. Yeah, but I uh... imagine if you're playing in California. <laughs> terrible. The uh... You know, you might be in a play group oh, that own. all thinks that, let's say, they all say that reavers or dwarves are the worst ever, and nobody plays them in your in your play group, right? And you, you know, you you're thinking, ah, oh, reavers are so bad, I can't believe anybody would play them. Then you go to a tournament and you play against reavers, and they pants you with something that you're not, you know, experienced with. Yeah. You don't know how to yeah. approach it. You don't know what the different fighters are really capable of. So, don't, you know, don't count out. Uh, war bands that people poo poo on in forums or anything like that because Somebody might you will have to play in them in a way you've yeah. never seen. Yep. Or, with, or with just even piloting abilities. And even if you know it turns out that that faction is just statistically bad, you still have to know what they're capable of in order to, oh, to beat them. Yeah. And what kind of cards they could have. I think everything is viable at this moment. In, which is which is yeah. exciting that's a really good thing because that's not true of every game there are some games where like you have to kind of play a thing or otherwise you're not going to be as competitive yeah we have a lot of cards you know flying oh, into yeah. the game right now and we just oh, had man. that uh restricted list which you know restricted a a, a pretty large amount of cards for a restricted yeah. list with a, a in a game that hasn't been around really for fine. very long yeah absolutely so i think that they did a good job but then again that puts us in a situation where everybody's constantly play testing which is exciting. I, I think mm -hmm. that, that makes I think that's a huge positive for the game. Yeah, the game definitely hasn't, you know, been solved yet. No, it's a, it's in a really interesting spot right now. Yeah. And I can't wait because there's, there's gonna be and there's just more, more cards right more, around the corner. Right? Yeah. And we don't know if they have anything else, you know, like up their sleeves planned, like another card pack that might just come in at the end of the season or something like that. Uh, we don't know how that's going to be. I don't know. I haven't done the math on it because there's four more factions and there's usually 60 cards in a faction. So I don't know how many you're missing, but that would be that would be uh, 60, 120 to 240 cards we haven't seen yet. Yep. Does that fill up the remainder of what's missing? I don't know. I'd have to go count. Well, it's 60 in each pack, right? Yeah. So it's like 240 cards that are missing. Yeah. yeah. There's four factions that aren't in the game yet. But usually okay. the... Like with the leaders pack, that was numbered separately. 
Oh, that's true. They could yeah. just throw in another one just for, you know, for fun. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'm hoping for, you know how we had the leaders pack last time. We need the Dangle Bros pack. The Dangle Bro pack. Where you just are able to take your your dangly bros and just make them what into they gods. What need to do though is it needs to be called the Dangle Bro pack. Yeah, it does. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so we feel good about this, Randall? Yep. Did we do it? We did it. All right, Randall. I feel good about this. So everybody, just to re-remind you, if you skipped over the stuff at the beginning, make sure you subscribe on iTunes or follow us on Podbean, leave ratings and reviews. Go on the Facebook page and uh, uh, facebook.com slash BFSUW podcast and 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 leave us a, a comment what boards you like and and why and when you when the, when you win the role when you lose the role and like what's the rationale we want to hear that um and yeah so that sounds good so uh so this is uh, max bernstein i'm randall slate and we're signing off and we'll see you next time